Hi, I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. I'm someone who loves a good book, especially during the pandemic. Getting lost in a story and forgetting the world for a bit is sometimes really necessary. And though we've heard for years about how people's attention spans are dwindling and physical book sales are declining, it turns out that when it comes down to it, people still really like sitting down and immersing themselves in a good read. The Globe's arts editor, Judith Pereira, and our Western arts correspondent, Marsha Lederman, just finished putting together the Globe 100, a list of must-read fiction, thrillers, cookbooks, and more. Both Judith and Marcia join me today to look back on a big year for books. This is The Decibel. Judith and Marcia, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having us. So you two have just finished helping to compile a massive list with a hundred of your favorite books. Judith, you you are the books editor here. So can I ask, were there any trends in the books that you had to choose from this year uh, that that you noticed were different maybe from other years? Yeah, there were definitely a lot of female authors in the Canadian list, actually in the international list as well. Um, And there were a lot of big books this year, like physically big books. Like long, long, heavy, big books. Long, heavy, complex reads. Uh, One of them was actually not by a woman. It was by a man. Um, What was it called? Cuckoo Cloud? Cloud Cuckoo Land. I knew you were going to say that. By Anthony Doerr, whose last book was All the Light We Cannot See, which is one of my favorite books of all time. And that book was long-ish, but Cloud Cuckoo Land is a tome. It's a doorstop. It's and it requires a lot of you. And it's worth it. I think I loved it. It's funny, because last year, the book that I also really liked was really huge, but it took me forever to read was Duck's Newberry Port. By Lucy Ellman, right? Lucy Ellman? Yeah, Lucy Ellman. And it was up, it was shortlisted for a booker, which is something for a Windsor, Ontario publisher. But that one, too, was a doorstopper. But that was an anomaly last year, whereas this year I felt like there were so many of those. Hmm. That's so funny because my impression is that there were so many slim books, like books that I could sit and read in one or two sittings and devour. And that is how I did a lot of my reading this year. That's so funny. How so there's our, a range. I think that just tells you how much there is. And Judith, you mentioned there were a lot of female writers. Do you want to just talk a little bit about that? Yeah, we saw it in the lists this year, in a lot of the lists, uh, the award lists, but also just what was coming out. Um, You know, Miriam Taves had a new book, Katrina Vermet. Um, There were just so many great authors publishing. Um, Elizabeth Strout had something. Um, Like, it was uh, was kind of unbelievable. Do you agree, Marcia? I really noticed it, especially with fiction. Uh, so the Miriam Taves, Fight Night, uh, Mona Awad, uh, All's Well, uh, Lauren Groff's Matrix. These are some of my favorite books of the year. Not all of my favorite novels were by women, but a lot of them were. Uh, Alex Olean wrote a really good uh, collection of short stories. So yeah, I, I felt that as well. A lot of women and a lot of women writing fiction in particular. 
And so we've compiled a hundred books here. Uh, how, how many books are published each year though? Like what, give us a sense of that. Well, I get about 3000 books wow. a year and I get, so I get all of the Canadian publishers, usually most of the Americans and some of the UK publishers. I do know there's a stat that on one day in September, 600 books were published worldwide. That was on one day. Books are always published on a Tuesday, by the way. Yes. Fun fact. Why is it a, t- why a Tuesday? It has to do with bestseller lists and getting your book on a bestseller list. So you want to get it in the store on a Tuesday so that you can get enough copies sold for the bestseller list, which used to traditionally be in newspapers on a Saturday or a Sunday. So, Marsha, you, you cover the arts here at The Globe, and, and you've interviewed a lot of Canadian authors as well. So what sense did you get from them about their experience in publishing this year while the, while the pandemic is, is still ongoing? Well, it depends, you know, who you're talking to. So I, um, if I'm interviewing someone like, let's say, Miriam Taves or someone like Richard Powers, who uh, wrote Bewilderment, which I know is a U.S. book, but, you know, these are big, big books they're going to get attention no matter what, even in a pandemic. But when you're talking to an emerging author who might be coming out with their first book and they're doing it in a pandemic when they can't attend book signings and there are almost no in-person writers festivals to be featured at and you can't, you know, press the flesh and sign your books in person and meet your audience and basically sell your books one by one. That is a huge, huge problem for people who need every ounce of publicity they can get uh, in, to get their book out there. Yeah. I mean, some people like you were talking about first time authors, you know, um, Astra was one book I read this year and I, I loved it. But I don't think it. she's a first-time author, a debut author. Cedar Bowers, yeah. That book would have just fallen through the cracks because it's really, really hard to kind of, for first-time authors to, um, they really t- traditionally get their, their publicity by going to book fairs, by going to festivals, by going to different bookstores across the country. And if you don't have that, that's how people hear about it. It's It sounds very old-fashioned in some ways, but it's still how a lot of people get the word out. There's also the subject matter, right? So we're starting to see now some books coming out that have been written during the period of lockdown. One of my favorite books of this year was Care Of by Ivan Coyote. And this book is made up of letters that Ivan had received over the years and finally had time to respond to properly. And the opening of the pandemic allowed for that. The time that it gave Ivan allowed them to create this work. Mm -hmm. So we're starting to see that. I'm not sure how much pandemic fiction anyone wants to read right now, but uh, this was not a pandemic book, but it was a book that came out of the pandemic. Were there any other themes that you noticed that kept coming up in, in books this year? I think climate change. Oh, sorry. I was going to say the weather and climate. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and these are not even books about climate change specifically, but it's become part of the conversation, part of, um, you know, 
the undeniable zeitgeist, unfortunately. So you're seeing that come in more and more, I think. And again, it may not be specifically, you know, some climate emergency or something has happened with a drought or a flood or whatever, but it's in the the anxiety of the characters. It's in relationships and, you know, a mother relating to a daughter and what that means. And it's it's you're you are seeing and it's funny, too, because you're seeing like I one of the books that I read this year that I also really loved, and it's actually on the Globe 100 uh, as well, was uh, Rivka Galchin's Everyone Knows Your Mother is a Witch. And it's about uh, science and what happens when a mob kind of, you know, it's uh, Johan Kepler's mom who's accused of like witchcraft, basically. And um, what happens yeah, because a lot of these books were written in the Trump era. So they're, they are reflecting though a lot of those questions. Yeah. So it's that and climate change and just that kind of like what is happening to all of us right now and some of the things that we're all feeling. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about how people are getting books and accessing books, because you mentioned before it's harder for authors, they can't go to festivals and things to get their work out there. What about the bookstores themselves? Because a lot of physical stores have had a hard time during the pandemic. Is the trend that everyone's buying books online now or or what are you seeing? Um, I've found it interesting that in the beginning, there was this huge, huge issue with bookstores. They were just like, you know, with, with indies, they've been struggling. You know, it started, I mean, the big A has been a huge, sorry, Amazon. We don't say its name out loud in the book industry. <laughs> um, you know, it, it was a game changer. And uh, and the indies have all had to uh, adjust in some way or the other. But what we found during the pandemic is people were actually supporting their indie bookstores because the supply chains were really, really difficult. And Amazon really doesn't cater to books anymore. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it will get you your toilet paper, but is it trying to get you your favorite read? Mm, you know, that you can actually get from your indie bookstore. And I think a lot of people saw that. And we've seen a few bookstores open up in places, which has also been interesting. Hmm. So the, the booksellers that I've been talking to have been saying that they've actually, not in the beginning, but they, they really sort of started to see a huge pickup in people turning to them for books this year. So the Indies, I think, had a surprisingly better year than maybe we thought they did. I'll just say anecdotally, what I've seen is that readers were voting with their wallets and they wanted to ensure that these indie bookstores that they care deeply about, because readers do care about their bookstores, uh, were going to survive this pandemic. So, Marsha, you facilitated some conversations between between authors this year, um, and in one of them, Margaret Atwood and Katharina Vermet um, are discussing things, and they're they're discussing the effort to kind of um, expand the domestic canon. I guess why is it important for Canadians to have Canadian books out there to to read? Oh, I think everyone always wants to read some version of the 
reality that they're living in. <laughs> Maybe not right now, actually. Um, but I, I think people want to read about their own experience. They want to see themselves in the characters that they're reading. And one thing that we talked about, uh, Katharina is um, Indigenous, and we talked about how that was just absent, absent when she was growing up and when I was growing up and when Margaret Atwood was growing up in the books that we were reading, we were not seeing an accurate or even any portrayal of Indigenous characters in the books that we were reading in school. And that uh, has definitely changed. That conversation is has advanced so far and it's so, um, it's so important and it's I'm so glad when I see what my son is learning at school, for instance, compared to what I learned at school about Indigenous history, which was zero. Um, I'm really happy to see that that's, uh, that has changed. And also that so much of our um, really good Canadian literature is dealing with those subjects and giving us these amazing characters, um, as in uh, the, the Strangers, which was... Um, which is Katharina Vermette's book, which won the Atwood Gibson Prize uh, for fiction at, at the Writers' Trust, the inaugural Atwood Gibson Prize. And I would add, I mean, I came to Canada uh, when I was 15, and I learned a lot about sort of the country through its literature. I think a lot of people would say that your literature forms your cultural spine of the country, your cultural memory of this country. Who was Canada? What was Canada? I read Pierre Burton's Vimy. I read uh, Atwood. I read, I mean, I just read a ton of different people. But you're right, I didn't read Indigenous authors. And I really didn't read people who looked like me, or who came from a perspective that I came from, which was from South Asia, right? So there weren't people who were like me. And I just, it didn't occur to me that I wasn't really like at the time I was just reading this great literature and I saw myself in these characters. But now it's so amazing to have these authors like Mona Awad and, and you realize, oh, my God, they have names like me and they sound like me and they have. And it's it's also Canadian. And it's not that the books are introducing people that are just not as human and real and fantastic. It's just they're different. And so the cultural memory and the literary memory of a country evolves and takes in these new voices because it's changing. And that's kind of what I see with the list too. It's not that the list is, wow, isn't your list really woke? It's no, your list is just reflecting what's happening in this country now, that there's different people and different voices, but they're all also totally amazing and interesting. We aren't going to have time to go through every book uh, on on the Globe 100 list, but if you each had to pick one that really stood out to you that that you'd want to talk about, which one would you choose? Oh God, it's really hard to pick one, but I'm going to pick What Strange Paradise by Omar Elakad, our former colleague here at the Globe and Mail, an amazing work of fiction that is devastating and beautiful and deals with the refugee crisis. Uh, not just specifically in the Mediterranean, which is what this is about, but makes you think about how we deal with this. And by we, I mean the West deals with this uh, crucial issue. Uh, but it's not 
it's not didactic. It's, it's not, you know, no one's lecturing you in this book. It's a beautiful story and really everyone should read it. It'll, it'll make everyone a better citizen, I think, of the world. I have been waiting for Eden Robinson's return of the trickster for the past two and a half, three years, three years, maybe since I read the first two books um, of her trickster trilogy. I love it. And I love her. I love the way she writes. I love her characters. And it was just, I've waited a long time to see what would happen. So that was the book on the list. I would say was my, it's my, it's dear to my heart. And just very lastly here, I want to ask both of you what you're going to be reading over the holidays or what's what, what you're currently reading. Okay, I actually, I have a whole system. I have an on-deck shelf, which um, is in my bedroom at, behind me at the moment. And I have different slots for different levels of urgency. And I save a slot for Christmas and summer for when I will have actual time to read books that I don't need to read for work. Because I, listen, I have the best job in the world. I get to read books for my job. Uh, but I will tell you that in that, on my number one shelf right now, uh, Jonathan Franzen's Crossroads, um, Night Bitch uh, by Rachel uh, Yoder. Uh, and I also, I've got um, a list of comfort reads that I'm suggesting for the holiday season. And Top of that list will be Susan Orleans on animals, which I can't wait to read. I love everything that woman writes. And I think animals are um, something that are helping me get through this particular horrible moment in the history of the world. And Judith? So I, like Marsha, have a fantastic job and I get a chance to read so many things, but I am going to read something old. Um, that I haven't read. Uh, I'm, I'm reading Pat Barker, actually, The Silence of the Girls. I'm also going back to Middle March. I know, it's crazy. <laughs> it's good. It's this is, so this good. This is the best it's... chance to go back and read. Judith and Marsha, thank you so much for chatting with me today. This was, this was really fun. This was really fun for me. Now I just feel like going and reading. I, I, don't... I know. This... No, me too. <laughs> That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman Wilms. Our producers are Madeline White and Cheryl Sutherland. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks to Judith Pereira and Marsha Lederman. You can find more of their work, including the Globe 100 book list, at theglobeandmail.com. You can also email us at thedecibel at globeandmail.com. If you want to reach me, I'm on Twitter at ManikaRW. And if you haven't already, please follow The Decibel wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.